The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 261, presented by Rageworks for Wednesday, December 17th, 2014. I'm your host, Rich, and our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning in, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. It airs live Wednesdays at 11 p.m. Eastern and Thursdays at 11 p.m. Eastern. Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling. Thursday nights, we cover gaming entertainment. We sprinkle a little tech in there and a ton of other stuff as well. As always, My Take Radio is rated M for Mature. So just want to throw that out there in case you didn't catch the disclaimer earlier. You can listen to the shows live on mtrlive.com, gfqlive.tv, and, of course, on Mixler as well. You can find archives on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and on the official My Take Radio app available for iOS, Windows, and Android devices. All right, so this is the first of the last two episodes of 2014. And um, a lot of crazy stuff going on. We got some stuff we're already starting to plan for 2015 we got a stacked deck of MMA and wrestling. We got two UFC cards that went down. The Ultimate Fighter finale, UFC Fight Night on Saturday. We had TLC on Sunday. Plus, we got Raw, SmackDown Live. And, um, you know, we're going to get into that and a couple of other things. And, of course, the week's MMA and wrestling news. As always, if you want to interact, feel free to join our chat on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. You can also, as always, call in, like I said, 347 324 three five four one but before we get into this week's topics uh definitely want to get some housekeeping done give you guys some updates on how things are going to play out for the remainder of the month and what we're going to be working on in 2015 so broadcast schedule first and foremost uh tonight's show and tomorrow's shows will be the last shows of 2014 we will be back january's january 7th and 8th Uh, 7th, of course, for MMA and wrestling, the 8th for gaming and entertainment. So we're going to take those two weeks, uh, you know, the Christmas and New Year's weeks to 
kind of refocus, get some stuff done on the site that we're working on the back end. And we're going to do some really awesome stuff in 2015. I've been talking to um, our colleagues at Royal Flush Magazine and a couple of other of other individuals. And we're going to try and give you guys an awesome start to 2015. But next week, I am going to be clearing out some stuff, doing some giveaways all the way through the Christmas holiday. Uh, we got this Afterglow controller, which we reviewed. This is for the PlayStation 3 very nice controller you'll be able to have an you'll you'll have an opportunity to win that uh what else we got over here we got uh, some headphones and a couple of other things we're going to be giving out the entire week uh just going to get some contests set up and once they are we'll be able to clear out some stuff if you've been on rageworks.net this week you'll see that we're putting up a lot of content including the review of the moto 360 which is quite nice and uh, this week, we're going to be putting up our review for the Moto X. Uh, our friends at Motorola were kind enough to send us one of these. Uh, a very nice phone. I will say, without giving too much away, that if you're not in the market for a larger phone like the Nexus, you might be uh, inclined to give the Moto X a shot. The incredible amount of customization that Motorola offers gives you a completely personalized device. I was pleasantly surprised by how well it performed. And like I said, I'll share the rest of that in my review. Uh, Motorola, especially when we were growing up was probably that and Nokia and Nokia, depending on how you pronounce it, um, were probably the two leaders when it came to cell phones growing up. I had a, uh, I had a Motorola StarTac. I had a couple of different Nokia phones. I had a Razor, a lot of Motorola phones growing up. I had the, um, it was like the flip uh, before the sidekick came out, it was like a two-way communicator that Motorola did. Then I had a sidekick slide that Motorola did as well and a ton of other devices. So uh, definitely happy to see Motorola cranking out some awesome stuff. The Moto X definitely is a surprisingly is is a surprising a surprisingly competitive device uh, amongst you know the rest of the other giants that are out there between Samsung and HTC and Apple. Uh, Moto's holding its own. I think if when their third generation device comes out, I think we're going to see some real, real headway being done. But nonetheless, uh, the review for that should be up this weekend. Unfortunately, we cannot give away the Moto X. That has to go back to Motorola. Uh, same thing with the Moto 360. Can't give that away, but we got a couple of other things. Uh, we're going to give away a PlayStation 4 charger. It's the Energizer charger that we reviewed on RageWorks and um, really cool device. And we want to try and give that away this holiday season, plus a ton of other prizes as well. Definitely keep it locked to RageWorks.net, our Facebook fan page, and of course, Rage underscore works on Twitter. Um, other thing I wanted to talk about, and this is actually a question I'm posing to you guys, if you guys have any ideas how I can resolve this. Uh, it involves Twitter, actually, and on Twitter, we are Rage underscore Works. Now, I've been trying to get the Rage Works name, and it's actually being used by a lady who hasn't used her Twitter account, I think, since 2012, maybe. Uh, maybe 2011. Either way, it's an egg. The lady hasn't used it, and I don't know how to approach Twitter to see if we can get the official Rage Works name. Um, just because the lady's not using the account, it's essentially inactive and I, you know, hopefully 
if somebody has a solution, I'd love to get Rageworks as our Twitter handle because we couldn't do official Rageworks because it's too many characters and um, Rage underscore works is fine, but I really would like just regular Rageworks. So if anybody has any um, any knowledge of that from from the Twitterverse, definitely drop me a line either at Rage underscore works or at my take radio on Twitter or, of course, on our Facebook fan page because we really want to get that set up. The other thing, uh, MyTakeRadio.com, we are presently migrating all our content over to Rageworks. And the reason I'm doing that is initially the plan was to maintain MyTakeRadio.com and Rageworks as two separate sites. But I'm noticing that there's more and more synergy between just the Rageworks content and our audience. And the show is part of Rageworks, but Rageworks is the parent So. At this point, it doesn't make sense to just keep uh, the My Take Radio site and just keep cranking out episodes because we got to post them twice. You know, it may affect our Google rankings, etc. So we definitely don't want to upset the apple cart. So the goal is by the end of January, um, everything from My Take Radio, all the content will be moved over to Rageworks. Um, but if you go to MyTakeRadio.com, it'll just send you to Rageworks. We're still going to have our live pages to listen to the show and all that stuff, plus we're going to have, we launched a brand new Twitch channel, which I'm hopefully going to be doing some streaming during the holiday break to add some videos there, and um, in addition to that, obviously, we're still going to keep our My Take Radio YouTube channel, we're going to keep the fan page, we're going to keep the Twitter, but the site is going to be rolled into uh, Rageworks in 2015. I think that having one site, one brand, and you know, one parent brand, and then My Take Radio within that brand works better. Uh, We hope to definitely debut our colleagues from VGN's podcast on RageWorks.net as well, and also Cleveland Sports Radio. We are finalizing all that, so when January comes around, you guys will be able to check out their episodes on RageWorks. So definitely big things for 2015. Uh, Very excited on where we're going, some of the events we're going to be working. Uh, We're trying to already uh, secure some stuff for Toy Fair and a couple of other events. There's even something that we may try to put together to kind of get our readers and listeners under one umbrella. Um, it's in its infancy right now. It's just a little tease, but definitely we're going to try and shoot for something either when the weather gets warmer in the spring or maybe right before Comic-Con. I just got to make sure that all the pieces are in place and all the people that are uh, expressing interest now are committed to doing it later. So be on the lookout for that. We're also going to have a couple of new faces joining the team in 2015. And you guys can uh, be on the lookout for that as well. So what's on deck for tonight? Well, we got two UFC cards we got to discuss, including the Tough 20 finale. We got UFC fight night. We got to talk about the UFC class action lawsuit, which is it's just picking up a lot of steam. A lot of people are are kind of divided on the approach that's being done for this class action lawsuit. So we're going to get into that. In addition, on the wrestling side of things, you know we're going to talk TLC. We're going to talk Monday Night Raw. We're going to talk SmackDown Live. And we're also going to talk about the ramifications of NXT's TakeOver and how well-received that show was and how the fallout from that show impacted TLC as well. As always, we're going to take your calls, 347 324 Three five four one again. That call in number three four seven three two four three five four one. But for now, let's jump into this week's MMA news, shall we? 
As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all your favorite fighter gear, including T-shirts, training gear, rash guards, and officially an official licensed apparel at MMAWarehouse.com. As always, make sure to keep it locked on RageWorks.net for promo codes and other specials that we do post on the site. Of course, purchases done with those banners help us out and allow us to improve not only the site, but the show as well. All right, so first and foremost, we had the Ultimate Fighter Season 20 finale. Uh, Definitely a well-received season. Uh, The strawweights definitely front and center, delivering what was probably one of the better seasons of the Ultimate Fighter. Number one, because the ladies definitely had a lot better. They had better stories to tell. They were extremely competitive, and above all else, all these women were guaranteed UFC contracts, but the ending of the show was going to crown the first strawweight champion. And needless to say, the ladies did not disappoint. Obviously, the broadcast schedule for The Ultimate Fighter did not allow me to recap the shows live during our regular episodes of My Take Radio, but I did get to see each and every episode, and I have to say that the UFC creating this division was a smart move. So many talented women there, so many recognizable names, and a lot of women just have incredible star potential. Um, I want to go through some of the fights. First and foremost, um, women's strawweights, the... um, a couple of the fights that jumped out that I really thought were going to go in a completely different direction on the prelims, which were on UFC Fight Pass, uh, Angela Hill took on Emily Kagan in a very competitive fight. Um, Angela Hill, I became a fan of hers during the course of the season. Uh, she had just a very cool look, very marketable look. She was just incredibly chill, but also a killer. She had awesome Muay Thai, great stand-up, and she was just a pleasure to watch. Um Like I said, she was kind of a newbie coming in, but she definitely was able to hold her own, and especially against Emily Kagan, securing a decision victory. Uh, They went the full three rounds, and it was was a good fight. Uh, Aisling Daly came in a little heavy for her fight, but she did defeat Alex Chambers via armbar. Aisling Daly, um, another talented fighter that had to contest this fight at 118-pound catch weight but either but either way uh, both ladies delivered uh, I was truly impressed with Aisling Daly I'm curious to see how the weight cut to 115 will be for her going forward considering that they had to do this fight at a catch weight another fighter who I became a fan of over the course of the show even though she did have a lot of personal drama going on going on off air was Beck Rawlings formerly Beck Hyatt um, she Very, just a very talented uh, young lady, very marketable. She has a really cool look. Um, She's a mom, single mom, uh, coming out of an abusive relationship that definitely was uh, a little too public for for my liking just because there was a lot of stuff exchanged uh, post-Ultimate Fighter between her and her husband. And, you know, she was coming from uh, spousal abuse. And it was was just craziness. And the buildup to her fight and then her debut on the card itself. Um, while it was great to see her, her journey and watch her train, I felt that there was so much of a distraction going on with her personal life and what was going on with her, with her ex-husband and, you know, the, the allegations of abuse. And he said, she said it was, it was insanity, but in any case, um, definitely an incredibly marketable and talented fighter, uh, coming out of Australia with Beck, with Beck Rawlings, taking on Heather Joe Clark, who was essentially the heel of this season show, um, I was I was rooting for Beck Rawlings. I really was. I didn't really. I wasn't digging Heather Joe Clark. I thought she was 
kind of phony, but um, she made she she added a, a good a good amount of tension to the overall show. And um, unfortunately, Beck Rawlings did lose via a unanimous decision, but it was an incredibly crazy fight. I mean, it all started at the weigh-ins where Beck Rawlings gave Heather Joe Clark the finger, Nate Diaz style, and it just escalated from there. And um, I was I was definitely impressed. I was impressed. I was impressed with, with both ladies. But like I said, um, Heather Joe Clark, uh, she played the heel this season, so I wasn't I wasn't really. Uh, digging her as much as Beck Rawlings, who, like I said, just had a real unique look. She seemed like a pretty cool chick. Um, another fighter, Felice Herrig, who comes into this season of the ultimate fighter with an incredible amount of public appeal behind her. And the reason I say this is because Felice Herrig is well-versed in the social media game, uh, from Facebook to Twitter, to Instagram. Um, a case can be made that she's out there a little bit too much, but in the battle for name recognition and marketability, uh, she definitely is ahead of the curve. She's always constantly updating, always constantly working Twitter, working Instagram. Hell, she took a selfie at the weigh-ins, which was on the front page of CNN uh, earlier this week. And uh, again, it's one of those things where you're you're looking at a fighter and you're looking at what's the quote-unquote public persona. But I have to say that, you know, she's incredibly talented, but she's well versed in her marketing. She knows how to play this game and she knows how to get the right, the right and the wrong kind of attention. But in any case, her name is out there constantly. She was facing Lisa Ellis. And after a performance in the Ultimate Fighter where I thought she was probably one of the favorites to win and she did lose on the show, she did defeat Lisa Ellis via armbar. Um, in a very, very solid, solid fight. Now, going into the main card, which was on Fox Sports 1, uh, we had a couple of fights that were definitely, and I say this because, um, well, Yancey Madero's Joe Proctor, great fight, awesome ending with the guillotine choke, uh, Yancey Madero's getting that guillotine in the first round. Uh, KJ Noons and Darren Cruikshank unfortunately went to a no contest due to an eye poke, as always, these eye poke situations continue to become a pain in the ass for the sport of mixed martial arts. And um, sometimes the really, really exciting, promising fights just get derailed by the eye poke. And this is something we've talked about before, about ways to try and remedy that. And it's it's just one of those things that it's going to happen unless the gloves are, are changed to a design. And even still, even if you wrap the fingernail or you do a design that wraps around the finger you're still going to have an eye poke because it's still going to just be a finger wrapped in material. So just, just something that unfortunately is just part of the, you know, par for the course. Unfortunately, it's something that we have to deal with, but I I was bummed out because I thought that these guys were going to really go in there and deliver um, a solid fight. And unfortunately it was derailed due to the eye poke, but I would not doubt that we will see a rematch down the road. Now, uh, catch weight, Charles Oliveira came in, uh, um, he faced uh, Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens. Uh, the fight was contested at 146 and a half pounds. Uh, Charles Oliveira did secure the victory uh, via a unanimous decision. But again, it's one of those things where, and we talk about this about weight cuts and these guys. They've been fighting a while. You guys know the deal. 145 is the weight. The minute you come in overweight, you know you're going to be sacrificing a little bit of that purse. And you're going it, to it, it's a show of disrespect to your opponent that you couldn't 
step up your training and get in there and weigh the weight that you were supposed to be for that fight. And again, this is one of those things where cutting weight is a, is an art form. It's a process. It's very grueling on the body. And I understand that there's instances where it's harder than others, but when you're being paid to make weight and come in at a certain weight and fight at that weight and you don't put in the effort or the work or something just derails it completely, it's going to bite you in the ass. And it's something that many people have discussed. Maybe they feel that penalties should be harsher for missing weight. I mean, it happens to, 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 to guys, but there's also, like I said, there's, there's preparation and there's things that can be done to ensure that you are making weight, whether it's not allowing yourself to get too heavy post fight, et cetera, et cetera, or starting the dieting a little earlier than you should. There's, there's ways around it. I just feel that when it comes to, you know, unintentional fouls and, and cutting weight, I feel that cutting weight is a bigger problem just because these guys, they've competed in this weight class or they've been in the UFC for a decent amount of time or they've been fighting professionally for a decent amount of time and they know they know the rules, they know how they got to come in and above all else, you don't want to lose money for being, you know, a pound and a half overweight. You know, if you're going to lose 20% of your purse, one pound just costs you 20% of your purse. It's insane, especially for these guys that aren't out there making, you know, serious amounts of bread. So it's it's definitely something that is is still a problem. I mean, we haven't had too many uh, guys coming in overweight, but you know, to have a fight, uh, the second what's essentially the co-main on your card be contested at a catch weight because somebody couldn't make weight is a problem. Now, let's talk about the finale, women's strawweight finale. Carla Esparza facing Rose Namajunas. Um, Carla Esparza, of course, was the champion at Invicta. She was heavily favored to win, given that she has incredible wrestling, um, really, really solid, solid cardio. She goes in there and she's just a machine. But I will admit that Rose Namajunas was was heavily favored, at least by me initially, just because she, you know, her flying armbar submissions and in Invicta, just her approach to fighting, the way she goes in there, uh, she, you know, she has a bit of an unorthodox fighting style and is truly a pleasure to watch. Plus, you know, being being the fiance of Pat Barry, one of my favorite fighters, is is kind of cool as well. But I had Rose pegged as the woman that was going to win this season. Obviously, I was proven wrong as Carla Esparza did secure the victory with a rear naked choke. She did choke choke out Rose Namajunas, but nonetheless, I know that there's a, a, an entire roster of talented and dangerous women that are going to be hunting for Carla Esparza. Overall, the season was fantastic. Um, like I said, Cookie Monster was the favorite among some of my fellow MMA fans who said, hey, listen, this lady, this chick was the champion in Invicta for a reason. She's not going to come in there and get shown up by women that didn't even compete in her organization. And while that might be the case, I do feel that we did see a lot of breakout stars this season. Like I said, uh, Beck Rawlings, um, Ronda Marcos had really good performances. Uh, Felice Herrig, uh, Rose Namajunas, Tessia Torres, Angela Magana, who just went full tilt heel after the Ultimate Fighter and, um, you know, really, really started generating a lot of heat, a lot of crowd heat. People weren't weren't digging her because she was she'd refer to herself in the third person, all this craziness. But um, overall, a lot of breakout stars for that show. We'll see how how much momentum they'll have now that the show is over. But it's one thing. And, I, and you know, we've talked about this before, that marketability is 
the key, especially for a brand new division um, of, of professional female fighters. Marketability is key. It's not just about, oh, look, I'm going to put this little picture of my of my cleavage or this shit or that shit. There's other aspects of marketability. And there's some fighters, especially in this division, that are doing it better than others. Um, like I said, Felice Herrig, lover or hater, the, the, the chick knows how to play the game. She's got great sponsors. She got a great team in Sucker Punch Management who also manage Carla Esparza. Um, a, a ton of great sponsors, which I'm curious to see how those sponsors are going are gonna to ta- factor in once the Reebok deal goes live, which is something I'm going to dig into a little later on in the segment. But as I said, overall, a great performance by every lady in this division. I'm looking forward to to seeing more great fights because every fight on the card, even though um, a majority of them ended in decisions, they were still exciting to watch from start to finish. And um, we'll see what the strawweights got to do going forward. Now, switching gears, we go into Saturday night. We had UFC on Fox 13, which had really, really crazy fights. Uh, Matt Mitrione taking on Gabriel Gonzaga, Stefan Struve taking on, the Reem, Alistair Overeem, which I, I'm I'm excited to talk about this fight. Uh, Nate Diaz did not make weight. He came in 160.6 to take on Rafael Dos Anjos, which a lot of people were saying was just Nate Diaz essentially not giving a fuck uh, about making weight. That's pretty much what a lot of people viewed it as, and I'm going to dig into that as well. And, of course, your main event, Stipe Miocic taking on Junior Dos Santos. Now, Stipe, of course... Many of you may know he was uh, a guest a couple of times on Fight Insight Radio with uh, my friend Gary Friedman and uh, Spill Bag of Ice at the time. And Stipe definitely had an incredible approach to the sport. He was hungry. He was motivated. He has incredible striking and definitely a guy that I can see being a force in the heavyweight division. So I was really pumped for this entire card. Also, a couple of the prelim fights were really good too. Ben Saunders, Joe Riggs. I was looking forward to Derek Brunson and Joe and Ed Herman's fight, but uh, Derek Brunson unfortunately suffered a stomach virus and he had to withdraw. And um, I was always excited to see Jamie Varner fight. So let's get into some of the fights. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about, and this fight in particular, Dustin Kimura taking on Henry Cajudo. Um, ben and I talked about Henry Cajudo's debut. He came in at bantamweight for this fight. And um, Cajudo definitely, definitely impressed um, he won his fight via unanimous decision. I think that Henry Cajudo is going to be a guy that we're going to have to watch very, very closely because this guy comes in with an incredible amount of fanfare. Um, there's been obviously issues making weight, but he looked, he looked very solid in his, in his fight. He was, he had great performance in all three rounds. Um, definitely trying to work the clinch a lot, especially in that third round. Um, like I said, a guy to keep an eye on going forward. Now, the other fight I did want to talk about, and this was a fight that just I was heart I was heartbroken after watching it end, and it was Drew Dober taking on Jamie Varner. Of course, Jamie Varner, a staple not only in the WEC but also in the UFC. Drew Dober uh, actually tapped out Jamie Varner via rear naked choke, and after the fight was over, Jamie Varner announced his retirement from mixed martial arts, saying, "You know, you I'm, I just." I can't keep up with these guys. You know, I'm always battling injuries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, just a, it was it was a, it was sad to see because Jamie Varner is not a guy. He's not a can. He's not, you know, a guy that's a slouch. The guy goes in there. He tries to give us exciting fights. And like anything else, I respect 
that, you know, he recognized that his time was up and that it was time to hang up those gloves. And, you know, it was it was insanity. It was definitely insanity. But again, I wish Jamie Varner the best. I, I definitely can appreciate all the great memories and all the great fights that he gave us. And um, we'll see what happens. There's rumors that he's trying to organize a fighters union which, uh, considering what's been going on in MMA recently, is is a news item that I'm going to keep an eye on with much interest. Uh, ben Killaby Saunders took on Joe Riggs. Of course, Joe Riggs, um, famous for shooting himself a while back. Uh, definitely uh, a highlight that I'm sure he wants many people to forget. Made his way to the octagon to take on Ben Killaby Saunders, who's always exciting to watch. I've I've enjoyed Ben Saunders' performances in every organization he's been in, he's hungry. He's always looking for the highlight real finish, always looking for something memorable. And um, once again, a memorable yet unfortunate finish. Um, as soon as the fight started, Riggs was working the fight as a southpaw. Saunders definitely trying to work some kicks in. Um, fight ended up going to the ground. Riggs dropped for a double leg, and Saunders used a rubber guard. And for some reason, in in the midst of that exchange in rubber guard, Joe Riggs tapped and he was holding, I think he was holding his neck. Um, And they're saying that Joe Riggs may have actually injured his neck on that takedown. And if you look at the replay, you'll see he kind of landed at an odd angle. And um, his neck kind of just went into Ben Saunders' hip bone. Uh, Definitely not the way Ben Saunders wanted to win that fight. But um, Ben Saunders' ground game is nasty. That's one thing I got to admit. Um, hopefully Joe Riggs is not too injured. Um, what they're saying is that, um, he may have had a stinger based on that takedown. Once I get more news, I will definitely give you guys an update. Now I do want to talk about, uh, Joanna. I'm going to mess up this, this lady's name. It's Joanna Jedruski. She took on Claudio Gadeja and, um, this fight straight rock'em sock'em robots at strawweight of course a lot of people were looking at this fight very carefully due to the possibility that it would yield a number one contender for Carla Esparza uh Joanna Jadurski took the victory via split decision but what happened was that some controversy surrounded this fight due to Claudia Gadeja landing a punch after the bell when the ref was standing between both fighters um it's crazy just because a lot of people were talking about and comparing it to the Paul Daly situation. And while the Paul Daly situation was uh, definitely a blemish for the sport, uh, Paul Daly has been incredibly apologetic about it. And, you know, I mean, we really need to move past it. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest memory that the sport had, but neither was the brawl, be, you know, between um, what the hell, Mayhem Miller and the Scrap Pack and, and you know, during the... Um, Elite XC card on CBS, which was a complete debacle. I mean, there's 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 moments that we definitely try to forget in the sport of mixed martial arts, but they're always going to be there. Now, what ended up happening with this fight was the ref was between them and, you know, Claudia Gadeja swung and she did catch Joanna Jadurski right in the face. And it was crazy because I saw I was like, oh, shit, that's that's a little, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little crazy that it went down the way it went down. But you know, it definitely got a lot of people talking and that type of intensity. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not good to hit anybody after the bell, but to see the, that division already just showing that type of intensity, that type of competitiveness. And these ladies, like I said, straight rock'em sock'em robots. It was, it was definitely a pleasure to see. Now let's get into the main card. 
Matt Mitrione, Gabriel Gonzaga. We knew this fight was going to end violently for one of these guys. Both guys have incredible knockout power. I like Matt Mitrione. He's just a, a big, lovable oaf. Is he going to go and make a serious run in the heavyweight division? Who knows? Gonzaga is always his game. He's ready to go in there and scrap either on the ground or on the feet. And it definitely did not disappoint. Um, they had a pretty even exchange up until... Matt Mitrione connected with a nasty right and then with the follow-up left floored Gabriel Gonzaga a couple of punches and it was academic at that point. Matt Mitrione taking the victory via TKO uh, in the fir- in a minute and 59 seconds of the first round. Definitely um, uh, Matt Mitrione, another guy, just incredible potential, a guy that you're going to have to keep an eye on, but a guy that for his for his as good as he's been is going to be a guy that I kind of feel is going to be in that Roy Nelson, you know, gray area where you want him to be in contention for a belt, but his performances are going to fluctuate. I mean, I could be proven wrong. Mitrione definitely has tremendous knockout power, but I just don't see him advancing past, you know, gatekeeper or being in contention as for him being champion. I have my doubts only because when you look at, Guys like, you know, Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, uh, Stipe, uh, a couple of these guys. And then you compare them to Mitrione. Mitrione has great, you know, he definitely has great power hands, but his, his it always feels a little, I don't want to say his technique is sloppy because uh, obviously, you know, I'm not I'm not the one in the cage, but I just feel that when you compare him to, to you know, like I said, guys like JDS, guys like um, the Reem, um, Cain Velasquez, you you see the differences just in fighting style and Mitrione. He just needs a little a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more uh, just tightening up on on his technique because a lot of times it just looks like he's swinging wildly and you know a shot connects and a guy goes to sleep. But so again, not not to not to shit on the guy because that's not my intention. But I just feel that when I when I see Matt Mitrione fight, I know he's going to be a guy that's always going to yield an exciting fight but may not be the guy that you're going to see in contention. Of course, I can I can be wrong, but you know, it's it's just something that I that I feel at the moment. Of course, more fights, better performances, I'm sure will change my opinion. Um the other heavyweight fight with Stefan Struve taking on Alistair Overeem. Uh Alistair Overeem definitely was on the chopping block in my opinion for this fight. Uh, no disrespect to Stefan Struve, but Alistair Overeem, the Demolition Man, the Ream, depending on 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 which on which era of mixed martial arts you became familiar with his work, um, th- this guy just a, a a monster, an incredibly scary human being. And the expectation is when he goes in there, he separates you from your consciousness, and it's lights out. And every time he's gone in there, he starts off fairly well. Then he gets tagged, and then he gets put to sleep. I mean, it's happened on numerous occasions. And Stefan Struve is is a gamer, a young guy, incredible reach. But I really expected Alistair Overeem to go in there and and do what you know, do the damn thing. Because at this point, it was like all that all that clout, all that pomp, and for what you've done nothing. Uh, Stefan Struve had a six inch height advantage and a four inch reach advantage over Alistair Overeem. Um, Definitely, uh, Overeem looks like he's—he looked better in this outing. He definitely looked better in this outing. And um, the funny thing is that when you're looking at this, I felt that every time Reem started a show, 
uh, signs of just trying to go in for the finish. You can see the apprehension based on the times that he's gone into finish and he gets put to sleep. Um, the fight, the fight actually ended with a nasty, nasty right. And, um, at that point, Stefan Struve was just unconscious. It was a, a crazy, a crazy exchange, but, um, a good performance considering what, you know, how his last couple of fights have been. Now, the thing that gets me is, you know, the fight went to the ground and I said to myself, hmm, this is going to be interesting just because you don't really see Alistair Overeem on the ground. And I was curious to see what Stefan Struve was going to break out just because he has such long limbs pulling a triangle or an arm bar or just trying to trap Overeem in ground in ground position looked like a sound strategy, but definitely it's one thing not to, you know, and you don't want to take this away from Alistair Overeem. He does have heavy hands and he does know when he does know how to connect in such a way that he could put you to sleep. I mean, it's one thing that the guy has highs and lows, but every fight that he's lost is always because he he comes in aggressive and then he just leaves himself open and gets tagged. But I think with Struve, he was a bit more cautious and while the caution was considered by many, uh, you know, he's scared, he's worried. It's like, listen, you've been knocked out a couple of times. I'd be, you know, if you were knocked out a few times, you'd be fucking scared too. Um, I was, I was pleased with the performance. I, it's good to see Alistair Overeem back on the winning track. Uh, Stefan Struve, I, he's not going to get cut. I mean, you know, he had that really crazy health scare. He's back in there. It wasn't a total annihilation, but it was, it was pretty competitive, you know, and you can see that the experience definitely played a factor in that fight. Now, Nate Diaz, Rafael Dos Anjos, um, crazy fight. Nate Diaz, like I said, he came in heavy. Um, the fight itself could have, could have been, could have gone either way, depending on who you asked, but, um, Rafael Dos Anjos actually took the victory via unanimous decision uh the judges gave him all three rounds it was crazy just because you know Nate Diaz the Diaz brothers and we've talked about this just um incredible manipulators of the media but also guys that I just feel that they're in a very very unique place in regards to how they approach the sport and the reason I say this is because they're very good they're good at what they do they're they're incredible they're incredible fighters they have great stand up you know Caesar Gracie Jiu Jitsu is is not to be fucked with you know these guys they come in there they they have the swagger they have the shit talking they have the aggression but i just feel that their heart just isn't in the sport it almost feels like they fight because they know they they they're good at it but the the heart isn't there and the reason i say this is because you watch so many interviews with these guys and you just see, I mean, with Nick Diaz, I think Nick Diaz has matured a bit and he knows how to play the game a little bit, but Nate Diaz trying to follow in his brother's shoes and just, just being an enigma doesn't get you very far. And the reason I say this is if you're going to be an enigma, at least have a winning, not, not a winning record, but at least have a credible record where people can say, yeah, this dude, you know, he moves the needle uh, again, Nick Diaz moves the needle because whenever you get in there, If it's a guy that Nick Diaz hates, you know you're going to get some serious shit talking. You're going to get some memorable moments. And if it's a guy that he respects, he's going to give the guy his respect, but he's going to make sure to give us an entertaining show. Nate Diaz, on the other hand, he just comes in. He's like, yo, fuck this guy. I'll punch this guy in the face. And it's like, okay, great. That's that's a good way to do it. But when you're not playing the game all the way through, it definitely is going to reflect poorly. And I mean, even Dana White was like, listen, if his heart isn't in fighting, then he should retire. 
Like, that's pretty much what Dana White did. He threw the gauntlet down because Nate Diaz realized, I mean, uh, Dana White has realized that the Diaz brothers' marketability falls more squarely on the shoulders of Nick and Nate is just along for the ride. And no disrespect to Nate. I'm a, I, I, I love the Diaz brothers. I like watching those guys fight. They're always exciting, win, lose, or draw. But the fact is that you can see that these guys, they're just, they don't want to approach the sport and deal with all the politicking and all the bullshit that is that is tied to the sport in its current incarnation. It's just not the case. These guys, they want to punch it, punch in, punch somebody in the face, and then punch out and go about their business. And there's so many things that they got to deal with that it's just it's just not for everybody. I mean, it, you know, even us as individuals, some of us are more social than others, and some of us we we excel in settings where we're front and center. And then there's some of us that just, we just break. I mean, even myself, I come on here, I do the show. You'd think that I really enjoy uh, speaking in public and uh, it's quite the opposite. I'm, I get very nervous speaking in front of large crowds and speaking in front of people because it's, it's a different, it's different here because there's still a level of intimacy. You know, I'm talking to a camera versus just uh, being, being on the, you know, in front of an arena or a crowd full of people. So it's a little different, but these guys, if you watch their interviews and you watch the way that they approach the sport, they just, they just don't feel, I I don't think they just feel motivated to compete anymore. I think especially more so for Nate, I think Nick Diaz, he's kind of figured it out that he's going to come in there and try and get the payday fights. And you know, if he gets a title opportunity, great. But if he doesn't, I think he's, he's happy with just going in there and delivering performances against the fighters that he wants to compete against you know the Anderson Silva's the George St. Pierre's I mean you never know his if he gets a victory over Anderson Silva he may just get himself right back into contention at that point but again in Nick in Nate Diaz case I think that he's trying to rep trying to replicate his brother's success and he doesn't have as much of a leg to stand on as Nick does but we'll see what happens I don't think he I don't think he's retiring he's probably going to take some time off um there's been some pictures floating around of him smoking a, a joint recently. Who knows? Maybe his metabolite level will be high and he'll get suspended. And he's trying to do that intentionally. We shall see what happens. Now, on the main event side of things, Stipe Miocic, Junior Dos Santos, another Rock'em Sock'em Robots fight, which could have gone either way. I know guys that watched the fight and gave the fight to Stipe. I know others that kind of felt that JDS got lucky in this fight. Um... Me personally, I felt it could have gone either way, especially that um, some of the earlier rounds, I kind of want to say definitely round two kind of turned the tide a little bit with Stipe definitely um, winning some of the exchanges, but it could have gone either way. I did feel that the fight was just a solid fight and a solid card from top to bottom. Um, I will say this, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Junior Dos Santos now with regards to title contention, because of course you still have the, um, the interim title in the hands of Fabricio Verdum. Are you going to do Dos Santos and Verdum? And then the winner faces Kane, or are you going to wait until Kane gets healthy and then do the unification bout between Verdum and Kane Velasquez? Definitely an interesting time for the heavyweight division. All right. So let's jump into the other MMA news for the week. There are quite a few, um, with regards to fight bonuses, uh, for the Tough 20 finale, uh, fight of the night went to Jessica Penny and, Ran- and Ronda Marcos. 
Uh, performance of the night went to Yancey Medeiros, and performance of the night bonus also went to Carla Esparza. All four of these fighters pocketed $50,000. On the UFC Fight Night 13 side of things, uh, Ian Entwistle earned performance of the night, Matt Mitrione earned performance of the night bonus, and of course, Fight of the Night went to JDS and Stipe Miocic. So, again, fifty grand apiece for each of these fighters. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast when we were recapping um, the Gadeha uh, Jadersky fight, like I said, uh, we were waiting for fallout with regards to that. And I found out earlier today that the Arizona Boxing and MMA Commission will not be seeking punishment uh, against Claudia Gadeha after the punch for the punch that she, she threw after the bell. Uh, very interesting uh, the way it went down, but they decided not to seek punishment. Um, Jadersky, of course, won the fight via split decision, but I was surprised that the commission didn't try to levy a fine or make an example out of Gadeha, much like they did with Paul Daly. And um, some people feel it's a double standard. Some people feel that Dana White kind of turned the other cheek because it was the ladies. It depends on who you ask. I feel that a, a punch thrown after the bell is a punch thrown after the bell any way you slice it, male or female. Should there be a lifetime ban or a suspension? Maybe not, but a fine at least, you know, $10,000 fine would have been okay, in my opinion, versus just um, kind of sweeping it under the rug and attributing it to, you know, the heat of the moment and just, you know, not not being fully in the zone. It depends on who you ask and how you approach it. I personally feel there should have been some sort of a fine levied, but again, that's just my take on the matter. All right, so good old Rashad Evans. Many of us have been watching Rashad Evans' career very carefully. He was supposed to fight not too long ago, and injuries derailed that. Uh, there's a rumor now, based on a conversation he had with Chael Sonnen on his podcast, that he is contemplating making the jump down to 185. Uh, very interesting. Um, you know, 185 is a serious, serious division right now, and... Um, you know he's he's uh he's fought at heavyweight when he debuted in the UFC to get into the U- into the UFC and uh, he dropped down to 205. Now he's contemplating making the drop to 185 just because he doesn't want to uh, derail the title chances of his teammate Anthony Rumble Johnson. Uh, very interesting um, approach from Rashad Evans. I think Rashad Evans definitely is is starting to wind down his career. I'm curious to see him make the cut to 185. And if he can maintain some of that punching power that he has, I know his speed definitely will not suffer with the cut because that's one thing Rashad has. He has great footwork and great hands, but I'm curious as to how his strength and knockout power would be impacted by making the drop to 185. Of course, once I hear more news, I will definitely share it with you guys. All right, so I want to talk about this UFC class action lawsuit because it is definitely a a Huge, huge elephant in the room for the organization. Bloody Elbow uh, reported that um, former and current UFC fighters are seeking to file a class action lawsuit against the organization, seeking damages in the hundreds of millions. Uh, Some fighters already involved include Kung Lee and a host of other former fighters. Um, I believe it was Carlos Newton that got the ball rolling with that. And the suit claims that the UFC broke antitrust laws by purposely hurting the free market by flexing its market position. Um, It's interesting just because there's been a lot of times when the UFC has called itself the only game in town, 
uh, compared itself to the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. And when you look at it, you really have to you have to approach it in the, in the way that the fighters feel that they've been wronged by the organization. And as such, and this is something that a lot of people are gonna are gonna agree agree with to a degree. They do feel that that the UFC kind of stifles their efforts in finding employment or just making a mark in other organizations. The way I see it is that if there's discrepancies in pay and fighter benefits and the way that injuries are handled, et cetera, et cetera, then the UFC definitely has to, you know, they have to respond to that. But in terms of just going class action to cite that the UFC is a monopoly, it's, it's a tough thing because you still have Bellator, you still have World Series of Fighting, you still have other promotions out there. The UFC has positioned itself as the number one promotion, the promotion with the most exposure. But in terms of monopolizing the sport, I don't think they've succeeded in doing that only because Viacom is a very large company and they do have money invested in Bellator, ensuring the promotion success, at least for the time being. Now, the true question is, is for instance, in Kung Lee's case, Kung Lee has definite, definite, reasoning to be upset with the organization given the results of the drug test and the way that the testing was handled and of course there's still the did he or didn't he factor with regards to whether he he did use illegal you know enhancing drugs for his fight with Bisping and like I said there he may have dodged a bullet and there may be truth to him being on something or there may not be but the handling of that definitely was one of the first blemishes for the sport now if anything, they're probably going to try and leverage the Reebok deal as the UFC solidifying their position and strengthening the argument that they have become a monopoly. Me personally, I do feel that the fighters should have the the right to unionize, much like you know Major League Baseball players, uh, the NFL Players Union, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think the UFC, uh, well, MMA in general, needs that as just a way to keep the the fighters' best interests in mind. Because while, you know, the UFC is the premier sports organization, they're definitely going to put their interests first and foremost. As for them being a monopoly, there's there's a case that can be made that they are, but there's also a decent enough case that they aren't. But, of course, once the case starts picking up some steam and we start getting some more facts, we will definitely dig into it a little deeper. I definitely want to get Ben involved for that because I'm sure he's going to have um, an interesting take on that as well now we got another mma fight well correction we have another ufc card on deck this weekend it's ufc fight night 58 uh cb dalloway Lyoto machida is your main event henan barrow will also be fighting on that card taking on mitch gagnon uh patrick cummins is fighting on that card um there's there's a some pretty pretty solid fights the prelims you'll be able to check those out on fox sports one uh, there's two prelim fights that are going to be on UFC Fight Pass, and of course the main card, Fox Sports 1 at 10 p.m., uh, probably the last card of 2014, and it's free on TV, so definitely give it a watch. Um, I'm curious to see how CB Dalloway fares against Lyoto Machida. Machida is not a slouch. This is a guy who, um, you know, is, has been a, a champion, a title contender on numerous occasions, so it's not going to be a walk in the park for Dalloway, so... There's definitely incentive to check out that fight because 
It could be an upset for Dalloway or another highlight reel finish for Machida. And of course, Henan Barrow trying to secure and get back in championship contention faces Mitch Gagnon. And that fight should be a solid fight as well. Now, the um, the Reebok deal, it's funny because the Reebok deal was in the UFC's Reebok deal was in news this week because uh, John Jones and Ronda Rousey were signed to separate contracts as official Reebok athletes. Now, of course, a lot of people automatically raised an eyebrow after John Jones being quote unquote dropped by Nike and all of a sudden now being signed with Reebok, much like Ronda Rousey. Um, of course, their their likeness and their marketing potential will be a big factor um, in getting Reebok the traction it needs to become the premier MMA brand, especially as it is the flagship brand of the UFC. Um, based on based on the signings themselves, I'm not shocked. I, I'm I'm almost certain that Reebok will definitely try and lock down all the champions to individual specialized contracts because they know that those will be the the individuals that the UFC is going to try and get on TV the most. Um, if anybody, one guy in particular that I definitely am curious to see how they handle is Demetrius Johnson, who of course is sponsored by Microsoft Xbox. And, um, you know, he's, he always comes out there repping Xbox and he's been involved in a lot of stuff with them. And to, to see now him being under that umbrella with the Reebok deal, I'm curious to see how Microsoft and, and, how his relationship with Microsoft is going to be affected and how he's going to offset that. I'm sure maybe more gaming events, more game awards and et cetera, et cetera. But um, definitely something to watch with much interest. Now, I do want to talk about Chris Cyborg and it's, it's crazy because a lot of people are going to say that this bit of news should not come as a shock, but it turns out that Chris Cyborg will no longer try to make the weight cut to 135 to fight Ronda Rousey. Um, In an interview she did with Tatame, she said, I can't. From now on, I will only fight at my weight or in a catch weight. I haven't fought in a long time, and that's why I want to go back to my division. Um, She said that uh, Ronda Rousey is the only one that can make that fight happen. She said, and I quote, I realized I'm the only one making an effort for this fight to happen. I believe both should make an effort. Um, Yes and no. She's the champion. She's the champ at 135. You either make 135 or you don't. There's, you know, there's not a 140-pound belt. There's not a 145-pound belt. The belt is at 135. And if Rousey makes weight and competes at that weight, then you definitely should, you know, respect the champion and either try and make weight or just don't don't run your mouth about it. Because as much as I'd love to see that fight, I do feel that it's been just a lot of smoke and mirrors, a lot of talking. You know, you either make 135 or you don't. They're not going to have that fight. They're not going to have that fight at a catch weight because if Ronda Rousey loses, there's there's going to be that blemish and it's going to be because the fight was quote unquote contested at catch weight. And I don't really see the logistics and and, and the sense in Ronda Rousey coming up to 145 to defend a belt that she won at 135. Because again, if she loses, Chris Cyborg is not going to make 135 to defend that belt, and it's a waste of time. Now, if you want to do it as a special attraction fight or a super fight, then so be it. But any sort of title fight should definitely not even be on the table at this point. Like I said, just because if she's acknowledging that she can't make the weight, there's no necessity to go in there and, and try and force the issue. 
Simple as that. All right. So with that said, that is actually going to wrap up the week's MMA news. Like I said, once we get more news about the um, the UFC class action lawsuit, which um, I forgot some of the other fighters. I, I actually scrolled down. I had their names. Uh, John Fitch is in that suit. Nate Quarry, Kung Lee, uh, Carlos Newton. Uh, there's a rumor that Sean Shirk wants to get in on that class action suit. And a, and a plethora of other fighters. And again, you're taking the fight to the big dogs. You're taking the fight to the UFC. And at the end of the day, if the UFC loses these fighters, while they may succeed in kind of blemishing the organization, the fallout from this may impact fighters for the foreseeable future. So definitely something that we're going to keep an eye on because, again, you know, this is uh, the outcome of this can definitely change the game. All right, we got a lot of wrestling on deck, man, oh man, from TLC to Raw to SmackDown, so much to discuss. Let's get that ball rolling. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. All right, My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEshop.com. Save $10 on orders of $70 or more by using our promo code WWESAVE10. Just in time for the holidays, get some of your favorite wrestling tees and other swag and merch by heading over to WWEshop.com. Also look for banners and other promo codes on RageWorks.net. As always, if you use those banners or promo codes, it helps us out. It actually uh, gives us some affiliate juice and allows us to continue to improve the show and the site for you guys. So um, let's get that ball rolling. Let's talk TLC, which depending on who you ask, and I say this, I say this with with great conviction, depending on who you ask, they either say they hated the card or they thought the card was okay. They don't say they love the card. They say I loved one match out of that card or two matches, depending on who you ask. And before I dig into the breakdown of this card, I will say this. This card was coming off the heels of a successful, highly talked about NXT TakeOver event. An event which was run by the WWE, of course, and their developmental system being NXT, for those of you that don't know. And all those superstars have never touched the main roster. And when I mean all those superstars, I'm talking about, you know, uh, Finn Balor, Hideo Itami, uh, Adrian Neville, Sami Zayn, Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte, she lost to Natalia, but she's not a staple. She's not on that. She's not on TV the way the, the way the other, um, you know, active main roster superstars are. And the thing was going into this event and people said this till they were blue in the face. I saw it on Reddit. I saw it on Twitter. I saw it on Facebook. People said TLC has big shoes to fill considering that rookies delivered what was considered the stellar event for the month of December. And um, the thing that got me with this was that when you look at this, when you look at both cards, it's very easy to see and very easy to assume that, yes, NXT delivered the goods, but... And I always tell people the same thing. 
NXT is run with a more intimate and more hands-on approach versus Raw. You know, NXT is considered by many Triple H's baby, and as such, you know, the creative team involved is, is smaller, more detailed, and most importantly, knows about wrestling. NXT is written by, you know, I, I believe the creative guy behind the scenes has been Dusty Rhodes in some instances, plus William Regal in other instances. But at the end of the day, the fact is that it's a more tight knit production from start to finish, a smaller venue, a smaller roster and smaller creative. And as such, you're going to get a tighter product. Simple as that. Now, as for TLC itself, like I said, a couple of matches are going to jump are going to jump to mind as being the the show stealers, but the overall um, you know, the the overall feeling and the general consensus was not that great. Now, our our very own Slick and Quark and Blade ran our live blog due to uh me not being around for a litany of reasons, but in any case, um I did get to watch the card after uh Slick, Quark and Blade did the uh live blog for the event. And I can understand some of the stuff that Slick brought to my attention, and I'm actually going to bring him on board because Slick was in the trenches and he watched it as it happened. And his opinion on a lot of stuff is 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 interesting to me because he views it, you know, I, I go super fucking deep with it. Not that Slick doesn't either, but I just, there's certain things that I can understand the logistics behind and why they played out the way they played out. And I want to kind of bring him in because he's going he's gonna to lay a lot of the groundwork for some really, you know, some deep analysis on some of the matches. So let me bring him in because we're going to go through the card together and uh, try and make sense of what was right and what was wrong. Slick, what's up? What's up, man? Welcome back, my friend. So not it's not every day you join us for the uh, for the wrestling segment, so it's uh, definitely a breath of fresh air. Um, before we dig into the matches, I, I got to ask, where do you stand with regards to TLCS? <laughs> do you do you feel that the card was passable or what what I can what I call a filler card or do you feel that 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 the card needed just a bit more polish to be better than it was? I could say both. I mean, I kind of felt that it was a filler card because since the inception of the the network, it definitely was not one of the better pay per views. But at the same time, I didn't think that it was bad. It, it could have used some more polish, especially with the theme going. I mean, it kind of bugged me that there were even quote-unquote regular matches. I'm like, every match should have involved some kind of weapon. But, I mean, then I agree. you just have extreme rules all over again. But why not? I mean... Well, that's the problem. When you, look, when you look at TLC and extreme rules at this point... It's exactly that. It's like, okay, the difference between one and the other at this point is what exactly? You know what I mean? Like, if you look at it, you're going to use chairs, you're going to use stairs, you're going to use ladders, you're going to use tables at, at extreme rules, you're going to use kendo sticks, maybe flaming tables. It depends on, on what day of the week it is, you know? Like, like at this point, you could pretty much interchange TLC and um, extreme rules because they're, they pretty much fall under the same niche at this point. So, going... Um, Go ahead. I just wanted to step back for one second with what you mentioned about NXT. It's like, especially, you know, looking at um, TLCS, it's like, 
I don't know if it's because they're hungry or if it's because of the writers or what, but I mean, just when with that that clip that you that was posted on the um, the fan page of Fidela Tommy and Finn Baylor, Fidela Tommy coming dressed as Scorpion and Finn Baylor <laughs> just killing the crowd with the 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 um, the carnage paint. It's like that's the kind of stuff that. Any pay-per-view should have, I'm not saying every pay-per-view should have people come and dressed up as their favorite characters, but it's like a pay-per-view should have something just unexpected like that. And nothing was really unexpected at, at TLCS. No, I can, I can agree Everything with that. Everything was, was safe, and you especially shouldn't have that at TLCS. Well, you know what the thing is? The you know talking about you know Finn Balor Hideo Itami, um, you look at the NXT roster and and I want to kind of backtrack as well with what you said about them being hungry, and the problem is that guys like Hideo Itami and Finn Balor, for example, are guys that were signed by the WWE, and they and they've said and it's been documented in numerous sites that these guys are only in NXT for a cup of coffee. Meaning, for those not familiar with the phrase, they're only there to get polished and acclimated to the WWE style, and then they want, they're want they making the jump to the main roster. So the fact that these guys can come in there, two individuals, that's not to take anything away from Adrian Neville or, or Sami Zayn for that matter, but the fact is that these two guys were signed, and as soon as they were signed, every website said the same thing. These guys are only going to be in NXT for a short amount of time. And when you look at that and just the impact that they've made on such a huge level, like when you look at, at, at Finn Balor's entrance and you see just the, the the amount of energy and passion and just the crowd itself, and part, part of that success is the crowd, which is intimate. It's smaller. You know, you have a, a venue with, you know, five, five, ten, ten thousand people that sounds like 50, 75, or 100,000 people you know you're doing something right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what gets me. Like, these guys are talking about, um, you know, Vince McMahon, when he was did, did the interview with, with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he was talking about, you know, these guys got to go out there and grab the brass ring, and, and, you know, they need to do, they need to become more than what they are. They need to just make themselves stand out. And the funny thing is that that comment, it amuses me because, Every, practically everybody on the NXT roster is a brass ring grabbing son of a bitch. <laughs> yes. Everybody. Everybody. From from Enzo and Big Cass to Bailey to to you know Charlotte to Sasha Banks, whether you love her or hate her, they all have an upside. They're all seasoned. They all know how to work the system. An, another guy who came in and just lit everything up was Kevin Owens, a.k.a. Kevin Steen. It's like the guy had just the right approach, the right entrance music, the right gimmick. When you saw it play out, you said, yo, this guy's going to be a problem. And again, he doesn't look like your conventional wrestler. But it's like the other problem with the transition from NXT to WWE, WWE is that it's like they watched these guys down after they they come up so much, mm-hmm. it's like I'm almost afraid to see the ascension in WWE. Yep. As much as I love their Legion of Doom demolition style, snack on danger, dine on death type promos, 
I said to myself, these guys, if they don't come up here and legitimately fuck everybody up every week, it's going to be a, it's going to be a waste because if it was one thing that the Ascension was known for doing in NXT was delivering ass whoopings. And if they don't come up yeah, here like, and beat up the new day, it's not going to help. <laughs> and I, and I, and I'll, and I'll acknowledge why I said that later on, but yeah. <laughs> as much as, you know, I like Kofi and I kind of like Biggie as well. If they have a match with the new day and don't forgive the pun, ruin the new day, then what I'm saying is, is correct. That they, they're just wasting their talent. Well, while while we're on the subject, basically, this team needs to come into the WWE, basically walk over <laughs> every tag team, including right. my favorite, you know, the Dust Brothers, and just take the belts. Like within, I would say, you know, depending upon when they actually bring them out by WrestleMania. Yep, I, you know what it is. And hold it for at least a good half a year. I agree, and and here's the thing, and and the reason I brought up the new day also is because they kicked off the uh, the pay per view with your with your guys, the Dust Bros, and um, a, a great match. It was it was a really really great match. But you know what the problem is? You already see the crowd just just going. The crowd goes mild, you know, when when these guys come out. Like initially they were kind of digging it and clapping and everything, but I hate to say it, man, as just as a minority, I just look at it. And it's just just a, a, another way to make them shuck and jive. Another stereotype playing out. You know? Like, why? Like Dude, why? You have this, this quote-unquote brand-new team right. that you put together, and it's their first pay-per-view, and you've re- relegated them to the spot where you generally have midget wrestling. That's one way to look at it, but I have, I have one better. You take these three guys, and you... Remember when... when um. Uh, Xavier Woods cut the promo where he was like, yo, they keep holding us down. They keep, they keep looking past us at the other guys when they should be looking at us. Do you remember that promo where we were talking about that? Yo, where we were like, yo, the new nation is coming, you know? And, and when I saw that promo, I felt, I'm like, yo, these guys are going to change the game. Cause it's like, you don't even got to make it a racial thing. You could just make it like, yo, we're some of the best guys in this business, athletic, strong, agile, uh, good on the microphone, marketable, but you know we're, we're we're we don't get TV time because we're not you know stooges like Seth Rollins. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of vibe I was thinking that we were gonna get. And to quote what Mortis said, he you know we went from Nation of Domination to Men on a Mission. Oh my God! Exactly. You, you, you put it there like that's how bad it is. But and I mean. Look! Look at how just poorly they put them together. How they didn't even try. Because <laughs> I just look at their finisher, which honestly is not a terrible finisher by any means. But it's like which version? <laughs> wow! You tried so hard because all you did was take Kofi and Biggie's finisher and put it together. Right. That's all you did. It's like it's not anything new. It's like you repackaged these guys. Why couldn't you? You know, if you even had to, why could you have to work with Cody, who literally reinvented himself? Well, that's and the do thing too. Like that with them, it's true. Like the reinvention, <laughs> the reinvention, like you were, like you were talking about. You have to when you look at guys like and, and the New Day is a great example. You know, as soon as I started seeing the fucking 
the extras from Sister Act and 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 you know Xavier Woods channeling Ernest the Cat Miller and then Big E just just shaking and ah ladies and gentlemen ah I'm Randy Watson I was like all right all right with this shit dude by the third video Biggie's video hadn't even come out yet and by the by the by the second video I was like yo fuck this gimmick already agreed the worst part is that they came out right around the same time as that video that everybody's seen on Facebook they they delivered it's it's insane it's ridiculous the the reverend Randy Watson like it's it's like it's like yo when did when did Big E become an extra from coming to America like, are you opening the door for Prince Akeem? Like, what are you doing? Terrible. Terrible, dude. Terrible. But overall, overall... You might as well just go back to being AJ Slunky. That, that's it, dude. At least with AJ, he was funny. And you know what the worst part is? Big E was, one, was, you know, was a big deal in NXT, man. He was a fucking problem down there. Which goes back to what you were saying. If you're going to bring these guys up from NXT and turn them to shit, then, then what does it matter? Dude, Big E in NXT was was serious business. Matt, you know, he used to have the uh, the yeah, five what, count. Wasn't he a champion? Yeah, dude, he used to do the five count gimmick like King Kong Bundy used to do. And it's like you got this guy with NXT champ. Okay, you you let him be, you know, Intercontinental champ for about three seconds. Yep. And now he's with the New Day. It's yep. like that's why I'm saying I'm afraid of what they'll do with Ascension because they'll. A few months in, a few months in, they look like Legion of Doom at the end. <laughs> I, let's hope that it's not the case. I mean, you know, the one thing I will say is that the match with Golden Stardust was solid. It was a good opener, and it got the crowd into it. But you know what the problem is? Golden Stardust were were misused. They had such incredible momentum, and then it just kind of felt that after they got the belts, they did nothing with them. Like the belts were more of a hindrance than a benefit. Yeah, because when they didn't have the belt, they were looking for the cosmic key, and it was fantastic. Right. And it's like, they got them. I mean, I didn't mind so much when they had the belts. I was happy that they won them. No, I was happy but, too, but it did nothing for them. You know what I mean? Like, they, they didn't advance. Like, the belts, the belts were, and I've said this, you know, the belts at that point just became a prop. It's like, I, I just wish that they would stop making Goldust angry. Like, angry Goldust? doesn't work for me because Stardust is still out there having fun. Right. Goldust is in Xavier Woods' face saying, get the fuck out of my face. True. It's like, that was very, very clearly heard. Yep. I'm like, whoa, what was this happening, dude? It's true. I don't know. It, it was a good opener, but it definitely could have been better, and the chemistry is just not there. Like I said, they've, they, 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 they didn't utilize. They didn't ride the wave of momentum with Golden Stardust, and people are tired of the New Day before they even are out of the gate. Like people fucking hate them already. Like Monday, Monday night, and and you know I'll get I'll get into that a little bit deeper. But Monday night should have been a wake up call. Like fuck, these guys are not as over as we'd like. But I will say this: they opened it up with that fucking ladder match with Harper and Dolph Ziggler, and those guys delivered what was probably an instant classic in every sense of the word. Dolph Ziggler's a machine, rock'em, sock'em robots. And, and you, look at, you look at Harper, and you see this big, disheveled, dirty-looking dude. 
But yo, he anybody that was a critic of this guy was proven wrong in that match. I was never a critic of Harper or Rowling. I mean, I didn't like the guys because they're just like these big freaking flunkies for right. Wyatt, but they always put on some fantastic matches. I mean, for these gigantic dudes, they move around the ring like nothing. And it's like, if you if you even try to knock them down, they put their fucking foot in your face, literally. Yep. Well, remember when they had that but, series with the Usos, man, and they just fucking killed it? Yeah, I was like, how are these guys not beating the Usos? Man, the Usos are great, but these guys are like stomping the shit out of them, literally. Right. How are they not winning the belts? True. But, I mean, it's Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler at this point, first of all, thanks, thank you for finally letting him out of the shit pit. Because he's been there for way too long. But it's like Dolph Ziggler at this point, now that he has the IC belt, he's like... HBK mixed with the Ultimate Warrior. And I say that as the the period where the Ultimate Warrior had the IC belt forever. Right. And that's, I'd have no problem if Ziggler ran with the belt for a very long time. Like, you know, kind of what Cena's going for right now. If he, if he held the belt multiple times, I'd have no problem at all. Every time somebody takes it from him, he's like, you know, fighting through the ranks and takes it right back. Well, that's because the thing. Go ahead. Every time he gets in the ring, especially lately, he's putting on a fantastic match. And I guess they finally got over that stigma. They took that stigma off him that he's injury prone because he's just doing it all right now. No, I agree. I think I think when you look at Dolph Ziggler, this is a guy who you should build. Uh, and and again, Dolph Ziggler can be champion and should be champion, but. If you're going to pad your mid-card and build a mid-card, I would build it around Dolph Ziggler because that's a guy that can work with anybody. Anybody. Yep. Big, small, fat, slow. He may he makes it work whether it's for you know selling their offense or or just putting together entertaining matches the guy and and don't get me wrong, I'm sure he's shortening his career with every one of these matches. And 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 I'm sure he's aware of it. But he also knows that this is the only way I'm going to make it up there. You know, I can't play it safe. And he's not bad on the mic either. Nope, his mic work is solid, man. He's come a long way since Vicky Guerrero used to be his mouthpiece. <laughs> but I was, I mean, that could have been one of the last matches of the night. They made it the first. They had to, dude, because they needed they needed to get that crowd ready. And then, you know what it was? It fluctuated. You had a hot opener a decent middle match and then another hot match. And you know what I mean? Like it fluctuated, like, like the Mizdow Usos match wasn't terrible, but I just hate that. It's, you know, like, like Naomi's like the, you know, the catalyst in that match. Like, why can't it just be, yo, the Usos are number one contenders and Mizdow have the belts. Like, like, why do you got to add that extra layer of total divas bullshit? You know? I mean, we know the answer because they got to sell total divas, but right. Honestly, fuck that show. Well, you know what's funny? There's a there's an interesting tidbit regarding Total Divas. I'll share later on in the show. But you know, the match was decent. But the problem was that that match didn't generate the amount of energy to carry the crowd into that Steel Stairs match with Rowan and Big Show. Holy shit, was that match terrible? <laughs> oh my god, dude! And it's like again, no disrespect to Eric Rowan, but two lumbering motherfuckers. You know what it looked like? You ever seen? 
the old Tarzan TV show where they would talk about the elephant graveyard and it always showed one elephant pulling another elephant by the tail to take him to the graveyard because he was too old and slow to put out of his misery. That's what that match was. That was Eric Rowan taking the big show to the elephant graveyard. Holy shit was that match awful. Nothing redeemed that match. Nothing. Because the big show's offense is 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 more academic and more basic than 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 even the great Kali at this point. Damn, dude, you just murdered him. Well, no, because you got to look at it this way. The Big Show, he comes out. He lost a lot of weight. He got in good shape. You know, I would expect that that in the midst of not being as big, you would you would be more fluid. You get what I'm saying? Like you look at Harper. You even Rowan was was a bit fucking mechanical. I hate that they make him walk like the Great Khali, even though he's not seven feet tall and his knees aren't made of Elmer's glue. Like, yo, why are you walking like like Fred Gwine and the Monsters? Like, what the fuck is going on, dude? Walk normally. Like, I'm gonna fight you with my sheep mask. Fucking terrible. <laughs> terrible, dude. Everything about that match was shit. And the problem is that whenever you do big men matches, like, if it's like the Big Show and Mark Henry, you know it's gonna be slow, methodical, fucking punch, kick, punch. Big scoop slam. Oh, look, a big elbow drop. It's like, it's like, yo, stop trying to book matches like Big John Studd versus Andre the Giant. These motherfuckers can move. But you know what was the biggest problem with that match, right? Shoot. No John Cena. How do you have a stairs match without John Cena? That's John Cena's new finishing move. Throw the fucking stairs at somebody. No, it's the but best fucking finishing move ever. Well, you know what gets me? It's like Eric Rowan. You're trying to get this guy over, and he gets his ass kicked by the Big Show. Like, you want to get the guy over, but you just fucking shit-canned him in his first pay-per-view outing, his first solo outing. Like, it could have ended in a double DQ or something. No, the Big Show fucking knockout punch. You go sleep now. Like, yo, come on, come off that shit. I'm sorry, dude. The Big Show, Kane, these guys, you you see that they're starting to show their age. You can see it. You see it right before your eyes. Like, yo, what the fuck was that? Like, I saw Kane sell a move on Monday night where I was like, yo, he didn't even, he breathed on you. He didn't even touch you. (laughs) The fuck is that? And again, these are guys that were good workers, but the problem is that you know, the, the younger guys, they're, they're passing them by. Like, think about what you just said before about Harper being big and agile and fast and technical. It's like, yo, we don't need more sideshows. Like, we're past that shit. But Kane is still looking a lot better than the Big Show. Yeah, Kane is looking a lot better than the Big Show, but not by much. <laughs> now, of course, Cena and Rollins is a match that you and I discussed a little bit off air. And um, th- I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm going to put this out there and then, you know, of course, I'll, I'll pitch it to you. John Cena losing this match was was just not in the cards because the payoff is the is him and Brock Lesnar. Plus, the stipulation made no fucking sense. If John Cena loses, then he forfeits his opportunity and Seth Rollins gets what, you know, like, 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 think about it. Stipulations are put in play because it's to benefit either guy. If John Cena wins, he forfeits his match. You know, if if Seth Rollins wins, he gets a match with the champion without having to cash in his briefcase. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of shit you do. Because then there's incentive. Not just, oh, if John Cena loses, yeah. Yeah, but as we discussed before, just about everything that follows that 
stupid the stupid chime that indicates the anonymous raw GM. Right. It's trash. I just felt that, you know... The thing is, I, I saw the potential for some great storytelling right. with that otherwise shitty stipulation. True. Because everybody knows that, you know, out of the NPR crew that, you know, watches wrestling, I'm the only guy that's really pro Cena. Well, here's... And I'll always be pro Cena, but I wanted John Cena to lose that match. Okay. I wanted John Cena to lose his, his number one contender spot, <laughs> and I'll explain why. First of all, as they shove in your fucking face every time he comes out, John Cena is a 15-time world champion. Yep. He is one, one win away from tying Ric Flair, two wins away from beating him, and we all know that before the curtain comes down on John Cena's wrestling career, he will be a 17-time champion minimum. Minimum he is right. He will beat Ric Flair's, uh, Ric Flair's record. Right. Because that's what they want to do with him. And even if, even if wrestling were quote-unquote real, John Cena's got enough steam to do that. Right. So was, it's like there is no need to rush that, that angle. Right. Because you have, as we say just about every week, there are so many other people that not only can get a push, that need a push, that need to be in the spotlight to really not even to, you know, just keep shit going, but to reinvigorate wrestling because right. as much as we still watch it, it's like it, it's just not where it was. Not even, it's not even where it was last year. Of course. Which is in part because, you know, we're missing some people. But even even with them here, it, it wouldn't be where it was last year. And my thing is, if Cena lost, if Cena stepped down for a little while to, you know, not be in the, in the title position till maybe right after WrestleMania. Right. Or they, they still could have had him in the main event versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania doing it this way. They, they made it clear that there are six weeks between TLCS and the Royal Rumble. If Cena loses, you have no number one contender. What the fuck do you do? Have a tournament. That's six fucking weeks. Have a tournament, and the winner, the you know, the week before, becomes the number one contender. Okay. And that would have, you know, that would have sold every Raw for the next six weeks because you have one, maybe two matches that are, you know, going through the bracket and bringing it down to the final match, and you know that last match before the that last Raw before the Royal Rumble. You crown your number one contender, right? And there you go. It's it fucking sells itself. That person wrestles Brock Lesnar, and whether they win or lose, let's say it's Roman Reigns, because that's probably who it would have been had they done it, done it this way, right? Whether they win or lose, fucking Seth Rollins comes out, cashes in, wins the belt, and well, actually no, he, he can't. But so we, we take it to WrestleMania. Because obviously, whoever becomes number one contender has got to lose because Cena must beat Brock Lesnar for the belt. <laughs> you get WrestleMania, Cena beats Brock Lesnar for the belt, Seth Rollins cashes in, but the weird part about that is, doesn't Rollins have to catch him before WrestleMania? No, they changed it. They said it within a year. Whatever. Yep, so they change it every time. Beats whoever, Cena or fucking Lesnar, 
with his famous curb stomp that is so, so spectacular that it takes <laughs> everybody out. And keeps it for however long. Okay. Because honestly, without the authority, I could see him losing it the next night. Okay. I mean, you 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 put you put a a, a very plausible storyline together, but here's here's where here's where it where it goes down. Like I like I said before, stipulations I always feel need to be beneficial to both participants in one capacity or the other. As soon as I saw there was no sort of stipulation to benefit Seth Rollins other than the the joy of beating John Cena, I said, yeah, either this is going to be a setup for somebody else to feud with Rollins or John Cena is just going to win and that's going to be that and we're going to move forward. Of course, Big Show got involved, which led to Roman Reigns returning, which of course is setting up the inevitable Roman Reigns Big Show feud, which is going to be a, such a barn burner. But um, look, it, rationally, rationally speaking, John Cena and Brock Lesnar's story is going to begin. You know, it it's begun. It's at the middle point, and we're going to close it out at the Rumble. And what's going to happen is you're going to get Reigns winning. Then you're going to get a little bit of back and forth, back and forth. And the, it's going to be the, you know, the inevitable Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar main event. Now, the beauty of that is that if you want to create a bona fide feud, you can have Seth Rollins cash in right after and either beat Roman Reigns or Roman Reigns beats him and Seth Rollins becomes the guy that cashed in and lost. It depends on how you do it, but at least you create interesting stories. The problem is that when you got a guy who's a part-time superstar, then the company is at his mercy, essentially. So basically, and, I, and I've said this before, it becomes your main eventers, Brock Lesnar, John Cena, and everyone else. Like, there's no yeah, belief. How terrible is it that we've had three pay-per-views, two of which managed to be pretty damn good, but no title defense? Right. Well, the title defense thing is something that's been a gift and a curse with Brock Lesnar. But here's here's where the the bigger the bigger elephant in the room is. It is WWE's fear of investing energy into guys that should be in the main event. And when I say that, it's the it's you know, you look at the Dolph Ziggler's. You look at hell, even as much as people love him or hate him or find him to be one-dimensional, you know, The Miz was a former champion. Yeah, he's in a tag team with Mizdow, but still, you know what I mean? Like there's there's such a vacuum in the mid car in the in the upper card that you don't know. It's like once you once you strip away John Cena and maybe maybe you look at Seth Rollins as a main eventer and maybe you force Roman Reigns up there, but yeah, what else is there? In the old days, correct me if I'm wrong, we had Shawn Michaels, Triple H, The Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. Depending on where you on where on where you came into the equation, you still had Chris Jericho. You know, you had you had yeah, Mick Foley. You had Mick Foley. You you know, at one point or another, Goldberg was in the mix. Scott Steiner was in the mix. You get what I'm saying? Like there was there was a decent amount of guys that you could say, oh shit, you know, this guy could get in there. If I tell you, if I go to somebody and I go Give me, give me five main of. Actually, here's a good one. Give me six main eventers currently on the roster. Six. It's John Cena, Randy Orton, 
Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, maybe the Big Show, maybe, and um, it's not Brock Lesnar though. Because Brock Lesnar only main evented pay-per-views. Right, but I mean That's just a main eventer. I'm talking about main eventer in just um, placement. You know what I mean? Like, Brock Lesnar's not challenging for an IC belt. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. So when you look at that list, even naming five feels forced. Because like I said, it's Brock, Cena, you know, depending on depending on who you ask, maybe Daniel Bryan, maybe, Roman Reigns. The, the jury's still out. Maybe Seth Rollins. Maybe. And, you know, if, they, if they're feeling generous, maybe Sheamus or Ryback. You could interchange them. But you see what I'm saying? It's not a committed list of guys that you know are main eventers. And this is part of the reason why. It's like it's partly creative, but it's also partly because they're not allowing these guys to become more than just fodder. You know what I mean? Like Ryback. Ryback is going to start allegedly feuding with Rusev. Either one of those guys, if they made a run at the world title, wouldn't be a shocker. Because think about it. Rusev is your U.S. champion. Much like I said with the IC title, that's considered the belt that's one step before, one one belt, one rung below the championship. Why couldn't that guy challenge for the belt? Why? You know what I'm saying? Because he didn't make the hand and cheese holding right for for McMahon. There you go. But that's what I mean. But think about it. Like here's 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 a great scenario. Just a, an interesting way to close to uh, to to close things out. Um, you know, Lana comes out, cuts an anti-American promo, talks about you know I'm I'm the champion, I'm the flagship guy. Your real champion isn't even here. Blah blah blah. You know, the, Rusev runs the WWE, and then just Paul Heyman walks out. And he's just like, you know, you know, Rusev, we've let you slide. We've let you think that you're the top dog. But at the end of the day, this is this is this is my client's house. And that's it, dude. Right then and there, in that instance, in that in that simple exchange, you just made Brock Lesnar a crowd favorite without even turning him. Yep. And even if he and even if he even if he feuds with Rusev for a month. It's it's nothing, you know what I mean? Like it's like holy shit, it's Brock Lesnar and fucking Rusev. Like that's like that's new. It's it's different. You get what I'm saying? Because anybody you put against Rusev, the crowd cheers for. Exactly. But think about it. Brock Lesnar's this big farm boy. The dude is the dude is the embodiment of somebody cranked out by America. You know, born in the Dakotas, all American collegiate athlete, played in the NFL, competed in the UFC you know, is a hunter, a farmer, a family man, even if you don't want to even utilize all that, it's just there. It's ripe for the picking without even trying. But like I said, they're at the mercy of a guy who has, you know, five days left on his contract and they don't want to fuck it up. But before, before we digress any further, I, you know, you, you brought to my attention, the divas championship match at this pay-per-view and I watched this match and I said to myself, if AJ ever had the 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 inkling to quit the company, it would be after this shit show of a match. I could definitely agree with that. Because I mean, I I mean I've said it a few times already, but it seems like every time they put up against the Divas, which I mean um, the the Bellas, which even if you put them in a handicap match, they're the they're the ones that are at this the disadvantage because they can't fucking wrestle. It's like they just drop her out. Yep. 
it's insanity. Mean, as much as that match was a shitstorm, I had a lot of appreciation for the ending just because that was like just classic WWF storytelling. Yep. With Nikki pulling the whatever the fuck that was out of her out of her um, knee pad, spraying AJ in the face and then putting it back. I'm like, that's like great Muda shit. Yeah, that's great Muda, Rick the Model Martel with the with the arrogance cologne. Yes. That's what that was, dude. As soon as I saw it, I was like, that's old school booking. But the problem is that it's like, yo, you just, they can't wrestle. And AJ, you're putting AJ in this predicament where she can't even help make Nikki Bella a better wrestler. Because the matches don't even go long enough for her to pick up anything. That match even five minutes long? I think that match went, I think, almost, I, I bought less than 10 minutes. I know that. I think maybe eight minutes. I say this because well, I remember. This is longer than that last one. Well, I remember. Fucking match. I remember watching it, and then at one point they were fighting in the corner. I went to the ba- I went to the bathroom. I went downstairs. I heated up food, and I know I heated up the food for three minutes. So say I was in the bathroom one minute plus three minutes, and I came back upstairs, and the match was just winding down. So, you know, roughly roughly eight minutes. But just again, just. Just a just a, a a terrible outing, and again another low point for for a for what was a passable card. And then you know we switch gears and we jump into the chairs match, and fucking Ryback and Kane. It's like all right, we're just gonna hit each other with chairs for ten minutes. I wasn't too bad at that match, just because Kane made that fucking match hysterical. Yep, when he, he did. Put his boot in in Ryback's face and sat him down in a chair. I fell out of my chair. Oh, well, there was... When Ryback tried to run at him, he threw the fucking chair in his face. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of... (laughs) There were a lot of comedic elements in that match, but the problem is that, again, it's like it felt very lumbering because when you watch Ryback wrestle, Ryback is, is incredibly powerful, but when you put him in there with a guy that's just a smidge more nimble than he is because Kane is just, Kane is still a pretty a pretty mobile dude. It just looks like it just looks like a car crash, you know. <laughs> really does. I mean, it was funny and there was some great, there were amusing spots, but there was also a lot of sloppy spots too, you know. Well, you know what they say. <laughs> oh Jesus! Sloppy, sloppy barbecue is the best barbecue. Oh my God. <laughs> Well, speaking <laughs> speaking of barbecue and sandwiches, that um that US title match I felt bad for Jack Swagger cuz it's like, yo, you're going to go and avenge your 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 mentor, but you're really not going to avenge him cuz you're going to get your ass kicked yet again. It's like, "Oh, hi. I'm by gonna, the way, by the way, I'm going to get my ass kicked by a guy who can't walk cuz I damn near broke his fucking ankle." Right. How does that happen? <laughs> How do I get kicked in the face by a guy who can't fucking stand up straight? There you go. Continuity 101. Twice at that. There you go. And that's, you know, that's something that you got to factor in as well. Continuity 101. I just, I watched that match. Like I said, I watched the card later on in the night. And I just fast forwarded to like the last two minutes because I knew how it was going to end. I'm like, they're not going to let him beat Swagger completely. He's just going to, Swagger's just going to pass out and the ref is going to call for the bell. And I knew that's exactly how it would end. No, Swagger actually tapped out. Did he? I thought he passed out when Swagger... Yeah. The went... first time, the ref... And the weird thing is the ref actually did wave his arms to call for the bell. And then Swagger 
did the Hulk up. Ah, okay. He got up and like picked up Rusev while he's still on his back. Then he put him in another accolade and swagged like they didn't have the camera on him right. That's probably why you might not have seen it. Ah, okay. Swagger actually tapped out. Oh shit! I'm like, Swagger's never tapped out to that shit. Why would he tap out now? Yeah, well, there you so go. He ripped this dude's freaking foot off during the match, <laughs> but still lost. Oh, there you go. I'll say this though: they it was it was a smart move to close it out with with Ambrose and Wyatt in the TLC. The only thing that ruined that match was that real funky ending with the fucking exploding television, and it bo- <laughs> and it bothers me because yo. I'm tired of Dean Ambrose losing in like the funkiest of funky situations. Like Bray Wyatt had a ghost come out. Bray Wyatt had the mon- you know, the monitor exploded. What's going to happen next? Is Bray Wyatt going to come in a fucking in, in, in a, in a robot and, and crush fucking Dean Ambrose. He's going to come in a sister Abigail I'm robot <laughs> like trombone. And there was an extra, there was an extra mini match at the end of Dean Ambrose versus this, the flat screen. <laughs> it was it was insane and it, you know it was such a good match and to end it in such a weird and funky way just just sucked all the wind out of all the craziness that they did in that match but i didn't even know who to call for that match because either one of them would have been put over by a win right and both of them to, to some extent need you know the win to be put over so right that one was a bit of a toss-up well, the way the way I I looked at it was, I'm like, yo, you killed this guy dead, and all right, the monitor exploded, but it's it, again, it was just it just felt so funky, you know, like so weird. I'm like, yo, Ambrose loses in these weird situations, you know, like like what's gonna happen next? Like you're gonna be having a match, and then somebody's gonna pull like the prosthetic leg off a fan and hit Dean Ambrose with it, like like some ECW style Might shit. As well, they, they they hit him with everything else. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just craziness, man. And then it's like Dean Ambrose, they don't even have a hardcore division anymore. Dean Ambrose has like a hardcore match every time he comes to the ring. Yep. So you know, switching gears and jumping into into Raw because you know if if we keep this up, we'll we'll, we'll go into three hours. Um, on the Raw side of things, Raw was okay, but the momentum that it had, quote unquote, post TLC. There were right moments and wrong moments, but the majority of it, it it troubles me to say that the entire broadcast was saved by Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar. And I'll and I'll tell you why. Every match from Sunday night pretty much got pretty much got thrown together for Monday night. Big Show and Luke Harper against Dolph Ziggler and Eric Rowan. You know, Goldust and Stardust against the New Day again. You get what I'm saying? Like it was just. Just rehashing the sh- the same shit. Kane tombstoning, tombstoning to you know delivering a tombstone to the bunny, which whatever. Get him the fuck off my TV at this point, because yo the new day and Adam Rose have about the same amount of crowd appeal at this point, dude. That crowd hated both those both those gimmicks. Yeah, for some reason they like Adam Rose's music. But I will say this: I knew that as soon as Paul Heyman came out in the sweatpants, I said Brock Lesnar's in the building. As soon as you saw it, because they, they would have to drag Paul Heyman out otherwise. Dude, the best part was I put the Jew in jujitsu. I'm like, I'm like, yo, Paul Heyman gets away with some shit, man, because that would definitely cause some problems. Paul Heyman is a genius, dude. He's a and 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 yo, nothing beats Brock Lesnar pretty much 
clowning Chris Jericho. Oh, you're going for this code break? Oh, fuck out of here. There was none of that. None of that. It was like, yo, looking at Brock Lesnar, and again, this is why Brock Lesnar kind of gets away with what he gets with, dude, gets away with. Because it's like, dude, you look at this guy, whether you love him or hate him, he screams champion. You know what I mean? Like, you look at him, you're like, yo, that's a big, nasty motherfucker. It's Brock just. Brock Lesnar is Nick Bruiser from fucking Super Punch Out. You know what it is? It's just a shame that his heart isn't in it. And it's funny because in his book, if in his Death Clutch book, Mr. Perfect gave him some very word, word some some interesting words of wisdom, which was, you know, get in to get out. You see, you see the the, the wording in that? Get in to get out. And Brock Lesnar embodies that. He gets in, makes a makes a statement, and gets out. Happened in the WWE the first time. Happened in the, he tried it in the NFL. Got into the UFC, made a statement, got out. Got back in the WWE, has made a statement by breaking the streak, and it's inevitable that he will get out. Get out. You know? Because Probably that... Within the next couple of months. Exactly. Because that guy, that guy his, as much as, as people think, you know, that he's, he's into it and he's not... Wrestling. Who thinks that shit? Well, no, I'm just saying it in the sense that wrestling to Brock Lesnar is a means to an end, and Vince McMahon sees that. That's why Vince is like, "Yo, this is what we're gonna give you. You know, this is the schedule we're gonna give you." Because Vince knows it's the means to an end. You know, it's not like John Cena, the company guy. If if they even want John Cena to deliver some of his his monologues, like John Cena is like telling the, the company secrets. He's like. Brock Lesnar's here for a check. Yep. Yeah, he really is. He really is. Dude, if you read his book, you know, if you read the Death Clutch book, it's like, oh, get in to get out. And as and, and I, when, when somebody mentioned that, I believe it was in Bleacher Report as well. And when I saw it, I'm like, fuck, I remember that. And it's true. It's like there's no better phrase for Brock Lesnar than that. It should be on a fucking T-shirt. Eat, sleep, get in, and get out. <laughs> you know? It's terrible, but it's 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 the it's the truth. Another another guy that got fucking mauled besides Chris Jericho was Fandango. Fucking Roman Reigns just took his lunch money, and then the best part was the Big Show came out to talk shit, and Roman Reigns like, "Yo, man, I'ma punch you in the mouth," and Big Show's like, "All right, then, let's do it." And the best part was when he punched the Big Show, the camera was still the the mic was still hot. And the big show was like, yo, you hit like a bitch. Clear as day. <laughs> and Roman Reigns responds, typical hood Roman Reigns, yo, you look like a bitch. I was like, ugh. <laughs> like, and, and, and at that moment, a light bulb went on in my head. And I said, Roman Reigns should just be street all the time. Yo, kid, don't make me yoke you up. <laughs> like, like, he should just be that. At this point, because you hear it like he tries to cut a promo and, you know, he wants to be like, yeah, what y'all want? Like every time I look at Roman Reigns, he looks like a guy that should be chased by McGarrett in Hawaii Five-0. Roman Reigns is Samoan JPG. Well, that's 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 being that's being, you know, that's being a little too liberal with JTG at this point, because at least JTG was comfortable in his gimmick. Roman Reigns is a dude that. You see that he's trying to be this 
this um this face of the company. And the dude's like, yo, I just wanna I just wanna use Pert Plus, bag hot chicks, <laughs> and, and and you know, and and move my hair around. It's like, yo, it's like you it's oh, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is just wrestling Jason Momoa. Same dude. He's Carl Drogo, Aquaman, and, and just a, a, a poor man SWAT action figure. That's it. So basically what you're saying is that at the World Rumble, even though the, that um, Reigns will still be in the match, that they're going to do a ladder match and dangling from a string, there'll be a bottle of Per Plus. It'll be Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins. Yes. Pert plus on a pert plus on a pole match. No, I'm serious. It's like I understand you're trying to make this guy the face of your company, but you can see it. You can see it. it's like, yo, this dude. I hate to break it to you guys. In the in the words of Wade Barrett, I'm afraid I have some bad news. This motherfucker needs at least two more years before he's ready. It's like you better send him back to acting school. Cut the bullshit. You know, it's like what the hell happened? I thought while he was. Recovery, they were like giving an acting lesson or something. Dude, I don't know. Yo, yo, I'm gonna punch you in the mouth. What? Thanks. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. I'm like, here's a stipulation. Roman, if you don't win the Royal Rumble, we get to surgically remove your vocal cords. <laughs> and you know, it's just, I watch so, it and I'm like, yo, this dude, they want him over so badly. And you know what I think of? Whenever they try to force somebody down the crowd's throat, I just remember Rocky Maivia. Uh-oh. Think about it. When The Rock debuted as the blue chipper Rocky Maivia, people hated him. If you look at some of the old matches, there were people holding signs that were like, die, Rocky, die. <laughs> Dude, I kid you not. And Roman Reigns is slowly going into that territory. He is. Slowly but surely. Roman Reigns is... He should just come out and grunt, or at least he should have some. He should have fact, a mouthpiece, you know. Get rid of his shitty gimmick of wearing the. Like you're the only dude still wearing the shield outfit, dude. Yep. Come on, stop it. It's like give him some like give him like a furry cod piece, some freaking furry boots, like a, a bone freaking headband. And shit. Okay, that's let him come out looking like <laughs> fucking Conan. And just have him grunt and fucking hit people. <laughs> as terrible as that is, you know, Vince probably was like, you know, you know, if we throw the if we throw the grass skirt on him, we could make him a Hawaiian warrior. <laughs> and they were like, no, motherfucker, looking like an extra from Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> but um, <laughs> as 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 you know, as terrible as that is. We all know that, you know, next week, you know, the Ho Ho Hogan edition of Raw heads our way. And I was as soon as I saw it, I was just like, this is just going to end so badly. (laughs) I just as soon as I saw it, I just said, oh, God, this is just begging for, you know what, dudes, when I was on my red and yellow sleigh flying over the North Pole on my way to Florida, brother, I realized that Rudolph, Rudolph needed some vitamins and he didn't say his prayers so his light wasn't burning bright so i grabbed him with my 24 inch pythons and i said rudolph brother i'm gonna pull the sleigh you drive (laughs) those pythons are shedding skin right now dude just just i i saw it i was just like oh god i just i just feel the the christmas theme (laughs) promo heading my way monday and it's just gonna be so terrible you know what's the one bright spot about that 
that that big ball of terribleness right is that Hogan Hogan can have gifts for the crowd if one of those gifts could be just a little bit bigger than it should be they could open up and be fucking Dean Ambrose pop it out they kick Bray Wyatt's ass that would be a fantastic gift or it could just be <laughs> he he should just be like you know what dude I decided that we're going to bring up some brand new blood to make things interesting and just open up a present. And it's like Hideo Itami. <laughs> that would be pretty fantastic. That's it. Cause he introduced him in NXT. I want to bring a gift to the WWE universe, brother. And I figured if the NXT universe can appreciate it, you guys can appreciate it. Everybody's like, Oh shit. And then all of a sudden you open it up. It's fucking Hideo Itami. And he gets interrupted by, I don't know, the Miz, and then just gets a GTS for his trouble. But anyway, the uh, the main event, Cena, Rollins, Steel Cage, uh, definitely on par, if not to a degree better than their tables match. But once again, you knew, with, you, you're like, wait a minute, the cage is there, Brock Lesnar's still in the building, you know what's coming, and sure as shit, Brock Lesnar came and whooped John Cena's ass, but the 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 interesting part was the uh, Seth Rollins Paul Heyman handshake, and I realized people are like, "Yo, so what is Seth Rollins a Heyman guy?" And I was just like, "Nope, it's the old mantra: keep your friends close and your enemies closer." I was hoping, and once again, you know, I was hoping for something a little bit different. Handshake I and a cash that, in. I knew that Heyman and Rollins were gonna shake hands. And when he moved aside and put his hand out for him to walk out the door, I thought fucking Lesnar was just going to pounce on him and beat the shit out of him. I thought so. That would have just been fantastic to leave them both lying in the ring. Well, you know what? I would have thought that because, again, uh, Seth Rollins did hit him with the curb stop. So I'm like, when he moved out of the way, I thought the same thing. I'm like, yo, I think this is going to be it. Like, just Brock Lesnar leaving a trail of bodies. But then it's like, eh, they could have pulled the trigger with that. But again, you know, the old, the old, you know, keep your friends close and enemies and enemies closer logic was definitely at play there. So, um, you know, it was, it was all right. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but again, you knew, you knew, you saw it a mile away. Now, you know, SmackDown was live Tuesday and, um, they're going to be taping, I think next week's SmackDown on Sunday due to the holidays, but uh, the live SmackDown wasn't bad. You know, Fandango tried to get his revenge on Roman Reigns. Let's not play ourselves. He took his lunch money and then took Rosa with him. And, you know, Rosa mopped his floors while he styled his hair. <laughs> that Perp Plus, baby. That Perp Plus. That's I was... I will say this. Ambrose is, is cra- his crazy maniacal promo and the fact that they used it to set up a match with them at tribute to the troops. I'm like, wow. You're going to give the troops unparalleled insanity as a gift. Like, yeah, this is a shell shock match. <laughs> this is this is a uh this is a nuclear warhead on a pole match. Jesus. Seriously, like it's like I'm like, wow, you know, instead of giving the you're giving these guys like complete mayhem. Like don't get me wrong, tribute to the troops is fantastic, but you're like, all right, you know, you're going to give them this and instead you just give them mayhem and destruction. And again, I just want to flash back to the TLC for one quick moment because one thing that stood out to me about Cena versus Rollins, did you notice that when Rollins tried to put Cena through the announce table, they had the strongest announce table ever made? 
Yep. Because the announce table breaks when you breathe on it. Yep. And it didn't break when Cena hit it because that would have ended the match too quickly. I'm like, they had so many reinforcements under that shit. Probably had freaking metal bricks holding that shit up. No, it's true. I will say this, and, and, I, and I forgot to mention this when we were discussing Raw. I've realized that that, that episode of Raw re, reestablished how much I hate the fucking announce team. Hate them. Maggle! 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 I'm like, yo, JBL, please, just, just choke on your cowboy hat. Between that, Natalia being called Tyson Kidd's husband, which was a fuck-up and a half, I was like, oof. And I'm just, I'm just like, wow. I'm like, was that on purpose? Because that was a huge fuck-up. I, I realized, dude, the announce team, if you have a, a subpar Raw, it becomes instantly cringeworthy with the announce team. Just JBL yelling at Michael Cole for 10 minutes alone. I'm like, oh, my God. Shut up. Like, can, we, can we just spike their Mountain Dew with basalt? Dude, I don't know. And then... You, you know, I it's like like when Chris Jericho had the exchange with Lana, and she's like, shut up, shut up. And it's just like, you know, oh, she's angry, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, my God, shut up. <laughs> Fucking terrible, yo. I was like, yo, get the fuck out of here. And SmackDown's commentary wasn't that good either. But, again, like they kind of knew during SmackDown when to shut up. Like during the, again, uh, rehashing the feuds, Rowan and the Usos against Harper and Mizdow. It was it was all right, but you knew it was going to end up with the Usos winning just so Eric Rowan could celebrate with them all awkwardly and shit, looking like fucking Herman Munster. And and again, uh, you know, total divas fodder with uh, Nikki Bella defending her belt against Naomi, and again, shenanigans not allowing her to win. Terrible. That's how you know, dude. It's the holidays. That's, that's, that was the worst writing ever. Because I'm like, yeah, Jay came out and whooped the men's ass. And fucking Naomi paid attention to that and got pinned. Yep. How the fuck is that game yep. for? And the fact that they didn't they're... cost you that fucking match, your ass not paying attention to you that match. Yep. How the fuck are you looking at him for? And the fact mm-hmm. that, well, the fact also that they again using the the whole off camera relationships. Like remember in the old days, like we you know it was it was big news when you found out that like a wrestler was married to like a diva. Now it's like yep, yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. It's like you don't. They don't acknowledge the the one relationship they don't acknowledge in the WWE is Nikki Bella and John Cena. Of course. Yet, and that's why you know they probably weren't too happy when AJ was like, "Talent is not sexually transmitted." Yep. Because I was like, "Wow." Yep. It's like she just shit on four fucking superstars, kind of right there. This is true. Well. You know, after after that barn burner of a match, you know, we had Adam Rose and Kane, which was terrible. I will say I did chuckle at Rusev. That was an insult to Kane. I'm yep. like, why, why even put Kane in that shit? I laughed because they, you know, I, I tuned in a little later and I had to rewatch it. But I, I they showed the other uh, clip of Rusev attacking Ryback. And all I remember was when Ryback was feuding with John Cena. And he said, I'm going to send you to the medical facility. It's like Ryback had to go <laughs> to the medical facility. It's like, what is that? Is that the hospital or is that urgent care? Seriously. What the fuck are you talking about, Ryback? It was, dude, remember that? It's like, John Cena, I'm going to send you to the medical facility. It's like, all right, we got it. We got it. 
It's like, yo, after Rusev <laughs> fucked you up. It's like after Rusev fucked you up, you went to the medical facility. He's like, fuck, I meant to say hospital. Yep. And then he just had to run with it and keep using medical facility. So, you know, it was funny when the announcement was like, Ryback is uh, being checked out at a, at, at a medical facility. I'm like, of course he is. <laughs> I'm like, sure, sure he is. Of course. But um, the, the main event, uh, a solid main event with Ziggler and Rollins. And I honestly thought that Ziggler was going to do the job in this match. And that was not the case. Definitely not the case. Nice way to, to end it with uh, Ziggler getting the pin. Again, you know, it's the holidays and, and, you know, they're trying to be generous with stuff, but... It's like I've realized that the last three the last three weeks of programming aren't going to mean shit. It's probably going to be the first Raw of 2015 that's going to be the one to watch because that's the one that's going to really get us on the ball to the Royal Rumble. Well, considering this is our last wrestling discussion of 2014, I have a slight prediction for 2015. I'll be honest, my predictions are often wrong, but it's based <laughs> upon how I feel that things should go. I think that Rollins will cash in and win and literally, like, lose the next night just because he's such a heel that even though he'll lose the next night, he'll be, like, he'll be running around the WWE like, I'm a champion! Like, dude, no, you're not. <laughs> That's true. You have a fucking belt. That is true. But, um... Like, I'm a champion! Like, every fucking week, he'll be like, I'm a champion! Like, true. No, no, you're not. <laughs> Well, while we're while we're on the subject of that, we'll we'll bang out the the remaining wrestling news. You know, it's funny. Um, they uh, Triple H put a a tweet out after Takeover, and he said, "Hey, can anyone help me? I'm missing a whole box of brass rings." Nice. Yep. It's just like once again. And you know what's funny? A lot of people said, and the reason I bring this up is because people were saying that the reason TLC wasn't good is because they were saying that the WWE was like silently they they were using that to silently protest Vince McMahon's creative control because they feel that Triple H you know Triple H runs NXT so they figure yo you know the reason that this show isn't as good is because of you and I'm you know again that's 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 internet dirt sheet hype but it's interesting because I said you know it, it may imagine if that was the case that would be crazy like Vince McMahon, like they're like, yo, dude, you're you're way too old, and this shit is way too whack. I don't know, man. Definitely, know. very, definitely, very, very interesting. Um, you know, stories coming out of that. But I did like that that he was just like, yo, you know, I, these guys took the brass ring, which again, like what Vince was asking for, dude, they fucking delivered. That's for sure. Absolutely. I did. I did want to talk about. No, they de- they definitely have been have been killing it. I did want to ask: Did you notice that whenever Sting is referenced on TV, they associate they call him the Vigilante? Did you notice that? Yes, I did. Yep, and that's because they're trying to. I'm like, it's it's like making this fucking name for Dean Ambrose the Lunatic Fringe, which is like the worst nickname ever. <laughs> yeah, so can, can you stop making up nicknames for people? Just what shut the fuck up? Well, the problem is that with Sting, it's like they can't use the icon. They can't use the, you know, they can't use the franchise. They can't use any of that because that's all been established. So they figured we can't even that we can't even really do more with the name Sting because we don't want to we don't want to, you know, desecrate a name that's established. So what they did was they used the vigilante nickname and they're kind of and I noticed it because they were like, yeah, you know, that vigilante 
blah, blah. And I'm just like, hmm. Just like when they were talking about, you know, the Roman Empire with Roman Reigns fans. I was just like, ugh. Look, you tried real hard there, guys. Exactly. But it was just weird because I'm like, all right, why can't, you just, why can't Sting just be Sting, you know? Oh, no, he's the vigilante. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, do you have a Sting symbol when there's trouble in the locker room? <laughs> Does fucking William Regal go outside and light a Sting symbol and Sting come out of the rafters? Come on. It's terrible. But um, I did I did tease this earlier on in the segment, and I wanted to say that uh, Naomi confirmed on Twitter that she is no longer on Total Divas. She wrote, for many fans who've been asking, I'm no longer part of the Total Divas cast. And she puts in, in uh, parentheses, not by choice. I still support my girls, and I'm excited. So uh, very interesting. Good. Maybe somebody can actually wrestle other than AJ and Paige will win the belt. This is true. The other thing, the other thing I wanted to, to bring to everyone's attention is a name that hasn't been mentioned in quite some time, and that is Scott Steiner. They're actually setting up a jury trial because he's being sued by TNA. Um, the 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 trial was moved to June 2015. Uh, it was originally scheduled to happen this month. They pushed it to 2015, and the reason is that TNA tried to sue Scott Steiner in 2012 because they claimed that he breached his contract and. Uh, which was expired when the suit was filed. Um, the reason that they say he breached his contract was because he bashed the company and they want damages and an injunction to stop him from complaining and speaking negatively about the company. Jesus. And I said to myself, so let me get this straight. Scott Steiner, who is a, a legitimate lunatic, you're trying to sue him because he said your company sucks. <laughs> like, like, that's that's what the problem is like you're taking this guy to court for that and he said that um because according to what they're saying tna suffered damages due to his um you know his disparaging comments about the company he said that when his tna contract expired he turned down a new deal and that he doesn't believe that tna suffered any damages due to what he said how crazy is that though well you know the ambulance costs money Dude, it's like it's like TNA. You guys are worried about suing a guy that said your company sucks. You're debuting on a network that probably most people don't even know they have because they're going in January, uh, January seventh. They're doing one show, but I think they officially start January sixteenth, and it's Destination America. Jesus, dude, like that's a channel that's in like the the the, the armpit of your DVR, the armpit of your cable box. You're like. I have that? Like, I genuinely had to look to see if I had that. It's ridiculous. I did I did want to tell, tell Mortis, because I know, I know he had mentioned it, but um, I found out that I can watch, I can watch Lucha Underground. They have a uh, Spanish broadcast version of it on, uh, on the weekends, so I'll actually be able to watch it since I don't have the El Rey network, because those guys are killing it over there, so hopefully I'll be able to watch some of the, uh, I believe they're doing a marathon this weekend or next weekend, so I should be able to catch up and watch some of the broadcasts so I can talk about it with you guys because I've been watching a lot of it through YouTube and trying to watch all the recaps, and those guys are killing it over there. Just just great camera work, amazing wrestling, amazing wrestling. So, uh, Mortis, you know, I appreciate I appreciate all the, the plugs for Lucha Underground, and I definitely will be checking it out now that I know I can watch it on, on um, I believe it's Uno Mas or Uno or Un Mas, which is uh, uh, Univision's uh, 
more it's kind of like the FX of Spanish TV. So um, I'm going to try and check that out this weekend. And of course, I will let you guys know about it when MTR returns uh, January 7th for its wrestling and MMA episode of 2015. Uh, Slick, you got anything else you want to add? No, I'm good for now. I'm going to go find out what channel Destination America is on. There you go. All right, buddy. I appreciate the assistance. I pocket from my fucking cable box. Yeah, seriously. All right, dude. I appreciate the assist. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Peace. All right. So uh, with that said, that actually is going to wrap up the final wrestling and MMA show of 2014. Uh, Before we wrap up, just want to remind you guys, uh, the video game and entertainment portion of the show will be broadcast. uh, It's it's officially now December 18th. So at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, December 18th, you can catch the final uh, video game and entertainment edition of My Take Radio, which will be uh, available via video and audio on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. As for this broadcast, you'll be able to find it on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, and of course, any of your other podcast providers. That's going to wrap things up. On behalf of myself, Slick, Quark, Blade, and the rest of the MTR family, thank you guys for an amazing 2014. And if I don't catch you guys on the entertainment and gaming show, I will see you guys January 7th at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Happy holidays, guys. Thank you all for your continued support. And onwards to 2015 and another awesome year for My Take Radio and Rageworks. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. That's all, folks.